Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. Tonight is May 26, 2022, and this is episode 119 of the workshop podcast. So we are going to be, we're running everywhere tonight. So give me a second, we'll get everything set up and running. We don't, we want to make sure that uh, we don't have anything going on in the background. There we go. All right. So tonight we're going to do a community Q&A session. So I've got a bunch of Q&A questions and I'm going to give you answers that I've pulled from across social media and we're going to answer them. Uh, plus, if you guys bring your questions with you, all the better. Who do we get in here tonight? Hey, Rachel Brown, she's putting the birds to bed right now and Chicken Hawk is here to hang out while on lunch at work. Nothing wrong with that. All right, so first let's get the announcements out of the way. We always have a few. Tonight, uh, first off, um, just chatting about PBN. You guys know, we well, okay, we are live across a bunch of platforms tonight. We're on Float, we're on Telegram, we're on Odyssey, YouTube, Facebook, and Spreaker through the Prepper Broadcast Network. So if you're not over checking out the Prepper Broadcast Network, why not? Absolutely check them out. There's been a lot of really cool content this week. Matter of fact, guys chatted with a lady about concealed carry. PBN, the uh, Next Generation guys, talked about herb, suburban and rural security. And Sarah Hathaway on The Changing Earth had Survivor Jane on about food preservation. So drop by, become a member, help support James and all of us fellow creators over there. It's a really cool place. Number two, I am now an affiliate for Coast Flashlights, which is really kind of cool. So I reached out to a few companies that I respect, companies that I use their products, and Coast got back to me and said, we'd absolutely love you to represent our flashlights. So today's tool is actually the FL80. It's a 615 lumen headlamp. That has been my go-to that I've recommended for a few years. Always had an Amazon affiliate link. Now you'll see in the pinned comment and in the description, it is now an, um, a straight up Coast affiliate link. So it's kind of cool. Uh, big deal for me. I was quite excited. I got a few flashlights coming. We're going to try them out and give a an honest review of what we think and how they're going. But anyway, I thought you guys would like to hear that. And the really, really extra cool announcement tonight I'm quite excited to mention is it uh, looks like I will be at Self-Reliance Festival <laughs> in October. So I'm going to make a whirlwind trip. I'm going to Prepper, uh, Prepper Camp in North Carolina the last weekend of September. And it looks like Self-Reliance Festival is going to be the first weekend in October. So I'm going to go at, to both. And yeah, I am, uh, I'm kind of excited. Going to be, apparently, I guess I'm going to be speaking at both. I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag yet, but I can't wait. Lots of opportunities to meet up in person. Going to have a few days between Prepper Camp and Self-Reliance Festival. So definitely want to figure out what I can do in between those times as well. But yeah, I'm excited. And thanks, Chicken Hawk. He says, hell yeah, awesome and an awesome brand. Yeah, I was excited about that too. Love Coast Flashlights. Okay, May 26, 2022. I have to shout out my beautiful, incredible wife. It is her birthday today, 29. I am very, very proud of her. And uh, yeah, I love her to death. She's a hard worker running her business on a regular, what an incredible female entrepreneur. I just love her to death. And I had to shout out giving her a happy birthday. Um, I'm showed on social. You won't be, if I lean down and show you, it'll be quite funny. Uh, it'll just be awfully bright and shiny, but I ended up today. <laughs> so quick word of advice. Don't leave your pry bar on the top of your 10 foot ladder and then move your ladder 
and not expect to get hit in the head because I did that today. Put a little gash on the top of my head, had to go over and see my uh, my wife, and she fixed me up real nice. Didn't need stitches, at least I don't think I did, but uh, just trying to copy Carrie Brown and hitting her head while we're at work. Uh, hey, Martinson family. Okay, from there, something else really cool happened this week. I don't know who sent me this stuff. So if it was you, thank you. Uh, it was a huge surprise. It showed up. It came directly from Amazon, so there was no note in the paperwork, nothing like that. It just said to Toolman Tim. Obviously, they pulled my address off of my YouTube channel, but I got to show you guys what showed up in the mail today. And if it was one of you viewers, I am blown away. So thank you. They were, they're all really cool DeWalt aftermarket products. So third-party stuff that interacts with DeWalt batteries. So check this out. Number one, this, and for you guys in the audio, I'm sorry, but this is a cordless glue gun that DeWalt will, DeWalt batteries will run on. There's that. So that showed up. This cool little, this is very similar to another one I have. I cannot wait to test it out. This is a little 200 watt power inverter, DeWalt battery. Goes right there, clicks in, feels nice and heavy, all made of metal. They're all Mellif, M-E-L-L-I-F tools, which is really kind of cool. And this one is the one I'm really excited about. Check this thing out. So this is like, it looks like a heavy-duty work light. I haven't tested anything. I just pulled them out of the box tonight to show you. This is all metal heat sink back here and a nice heavy-duty plastic with, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten LEDs, I believe. It looks really cool. So I can't, uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to test this stuff out. I can't wait to do reviews on it. And if it was you, thank you. And if you want to stay anonymous, great. If you want to let me know it was you, also appreciate it. Uh, Chris says, any head injury on us is bound to be minor. Ain't that the truth? Doesn't really bother us, eh? And uh, <laughs> Rachel Brown says, $10 if you do the pinwheel tan line. I had a crisscross of medical tape on my head today. And the guys and ladies in the Telegram group were telling me that I should leave it on for a week or two and get an epic tan line. And then they offered to give me $1,000 Canadian or $10 US, about the same, to rotate it on a regular basis to give myself a nice pinwheel. Eh, anyway, not going to happen, but I thought it was pretty funny. So where are we going to head from here? I went through and grabbed the best or, you know, some of the most pertinent repairedness questions from social media, from YouTube, from private messages, emails I've got over the last, I would say this goes back about two, maybe three weeks. And I figured it was time we did another one of these episodes. So if you're listening live and you want to share questions, go ahead. I will try to pay attention to them. We'll, we'll definitely save them for the end. So if you've got some, hang on to them or bring them in right now and we'll answer them at the end. So first off, this one came from Melody. She shared this in the Telegram group the other day. She said, all right, alrighty, people. Father's Day assistance needed. She says, I know, I know you're a DeWalt guy, Tim. A lot of DeWalt guys, we have DeWalt guys and girls in the Telegram group. She says, my husband's requested the DeWalt cordless pull saw. It's much less expensive to buy without the battery. He has several batteries from all his DeWalt things. Should I get the tool only or should I just get the battery with it? So we, we had a long discussion about this. And this is one of those things, there's really no wrong answer because, you know, you can never go wrong with more batteries. Love batteries. So, number one, the DeWalt pole saw, you're never going to be disappointed with. That thing is incredible. It has tons of power. I'm going on my third season with it, so two full years. I believe it was my second ever, first ever or second ever review video I did. And the thing still looks new, still runs like new. It's just a wonderful tool. I love it. 
Now, as far as bare tool, not bare tool, number one, if you've got a bunch of batteries already, you're okay. They'll run off of any battery. The five amp hour seems to be the nice balance for weight to runtime. But some of the other guys in the chats, you know, the, the two and the four amp hour batteries work fine for it as well. So if you already have some and you just want to get the bare tool, go for it. Now, like I said, you can never, ever have enough batteries. DeWalt almost always this time of year has their landscaping gear going on sale. Uh, at least in Canada, lately we've had the Home Depot ones where Home Depot says, if you buy this, you get a spec, like a free battery with it. Or quite often they're throwing in the handheld blower. And I love that blower. So if you can get that for free, go for it. But uh, yeah, this is the time of year to, to, to pay attention to the Home Depot flyers and Lowe's a little bit, but I don't know, maybe it's just Canada, but I find Home Depot's deals much better than Lowe's as far as their package deals. So keep an eye out, but yeah, go for the bear tool if that's what you're in for, uh, or pay attention and wait. And quite often they'll have, again, like a free battery. I went into uh, Home Depot on the weekend. It was I kind of got a real grumpy guy. I went in to pick up that ultra compact uh, impact driver that you guys might've seen on social that I've been playing with so far. Really like it. Anyway, I asked the guy, I said, you get any deals on your power stack batteries? And he's like, I wouldn't expect that. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, you're not going to see deals on that for a year or two. He said, they're brand new. And I'm like, dude, you've already had sales on them. I've bought them on sale in package deals already. He's like, oh no, no, you didn't. I said, okay. Nothing like going into a store and being called a liar from the uh, people working behind the counter, but I wasn't going to get in an argument with him. But yes, yeah, so, hey, there we are. The Lots Project Brian's in here. Nice to have you, bud. So yeah, I I mean, it is literally six of one, half a dozen of another. But, you know, if you've already got a bunch of batteries, bare tools are a great way to kind of extend the amount of, um, you know, the amount of tools you can have for the budget you have for sure. And again, the other problem with buying the whole kit all the time is you end up having a whole bunch of chargers you just never use. So like I said, I like waiting until they have the buy a tool, get a free battery, or sometimes buy a tool with a battery and get two more batteries. But yeah, either way. So next one, and I told uh, Mike or otherwise known as Leos that this question would end up pretty much everywhere. And so he came in and he said, uh, Kim and I, that's his wife, we're biting the bullet and we're going full replace on an old toilet. I said, I've done this before and more or less know my way around, but I was kind of wondering what sort of advice community the brain trust might have on this. Said, you know, brands you love, Brands to avoid, stuff that isn't in the box, stuff that you buy to use because it's better than what comes in the box. So yeah, there's a bunch of things here to think about. So if you've never replaced a toilet before, it's nowhere near as intimidating as you might think. It's literally, what is there, three connections? Well, three connections if you have a toilet that's already assembled and you know a couple other connections really, it, it's basically a wrench is about all there is. So first thing you want to do is get the water to the old toilet. So turn the old, uh, turn your water supply off. Number one, flush your toilet. Number two. So that gets a lot of the water out. Now the, the back tank is going to be basically empty at that point, but the bowl itself is still going to have quite a bit of water in it. A couple of ways to get rid of that. Uh, what I did for a lot of years was just use a bunch of rags, keep putting them down in there and sopping up as much as the water. And there's always gonna be a bit of water in that back trap part of the toilet. So just remember that when you pick it up, try to pick it up nice and level, or when you pick it up, lean it forward and get the rest of the water out of there. Or what I like is those suction, I don't know what you call them, like suction tubes. So they basically have a handle on them, you pull them, it's for getting oil and gas out of 
you know, tight to reach spaces, but it works really good for getting the water out. So number one, get all the water out of the toilet and then um, be prepared. <laughs> those little nuts, the brass ones, they tend to get corroded over time, but just take those two off. Now, the next thing is if you can take it out in one piece, it's going to make your life a little bit easier, but they can be heavy. They can be awkward. So if you have one of those spreader clamps, you know, they're the, like the slide quick clamps by Irwin. If you flip them around so that they're going out, put it down under the rim of the toilet, tighten it out. You can actually use that as a handle to pick it up. Now that old wax seal is going to be kind of nasty. So try to carry that toilet as level as you can straight out without spilling anything. <laughs> have rags on hand all the time. Then use putty knife or something to get that old nasty wax up off the ground because that is going to be a mess and I get it on my hands just do your best to keep it contained right there now as far as brands I always had really good luck with American Standard I told these guys this in the uh, telegram group the other day but I've also had just as much luck with those 99 or 119 dollar import jobs that Home Depot has. They're, they've all been really good, especially the dual flushes. They seem, I mean, for, you know, as hard as you are on a toilet, they seem to hold up really, really well. Now, the other thing I love buying are the toilets in a box, but not all toilets in a box are made the same. <laughs> I know, right? Fancy that. So number one, look on the outside of the box and see what it comes with. Because what I found is a lot of the toilet, now, if you don't know what a toilet in a box is, in theory, it's supposed to be absolutely everything you need. It's supposed to be the wax seal, the closet bolts to bolt it to the floor, the toilet seat, the supply line, everything you need to hook up a toilet, except that a lot of the toilets in a box don't come with a supply line. So check that out first. They assume you're going to have an old one, you're going to reuse it, whatever. So check on the outside of the box, make sure it has it. And the other thing, no matter what you're doing, Take, uh, oh, that's okay, Brian. <laughs> he said, uh, accidentally ended the Telegram stream. I'm not worried about it. We're, we're still working out the kinks with the Telegram live streaming. So anyway, toilet in a box, what it's going to come with, if you guys have never put a wax seal on before, is going to be this little paper thin, maybe an inch, inch and a half thick wax seal. Now they're okay, but I prefer to just kind of throw them off and use them as a, a backup. I like to go out and buy for like two or $3 dollars a max wax seal. So about two to three times as thick wax as the one that comes free with the toilet. And it has a plastic flange that runs down the inside. So as you can imagine, it helps keep all of the junk in there. And it's one more protection against leaks. But when it comes to that, honestly, that has been, yeah, that's the one upgrade I always do. And buy a toilet in a box if you can, because then you only got one box to carry home. You might need a, uh, like a, furniture cart or something like that. But yeah, they're great. I've had good luck. The imports have had good luck. American Standard were always great, but I honestly think a lot of them are made in the same factory at this point. So yeah. And um, so for the record, Mike ended up going ahead and doing super well, getting it installed and didn't kill anybody while he was doing it. So good for him. <laughs> so the next one was, uh, this one was Nate. This was from a couple of weeks ago and I meant to share this earlier. But he ended up having rot in the back of a shed. First, I thought it was the chicken coop, but it was a soft spot that I think he said a squirrel ended up digging through. So picture a perfectly shingled roof that he did an awesome job on and a circle. You know, I don't know. It looked like two or three inches in diameter, maybe a little bigger in the picture. And the squirrel had basically eaten through the shingles and made a perfectly perfect hole right there. 
So basically wanted to figure out the easiest, quickest, least invasive way to patch um, that kind of, you know, a baseball size hole on his roof. So what I came up with and what I would, if it were up to me, and I know he's fixed it and it looked really, really good. But if you have an, I love oscillating tools. And if you don't have an oscillating tool, some people call them multi-tools, get one of those suckers because they're awesome. And just make yourself a square. So up underneath, below the shingles, just kind of trace out a square that's just a little bigger than the hole and use your um, oscillating tool to just cut that without going through the shingles above. Then get yourself a piece of plywood that's the same thickness as your roof sheathing, fit it up into the hole, and then take strapping all the way around it and screw it in with screws that aren't going to go through the top. So then you've got at least the plywood reinforced. So you cut out all the old rotten, got a new piece of plywood in there, and then it's shoved up and held into place with screws and strapping. Now on the top, it really depends on how fancy you want to be. But if it were just an old shed for me, I would just take and uh, roof tar right over that hole. I probably wouldn't even put, uh, I wouldn't even bother cutting a little piece of shingle out to fit it in there because it's probably not worth it. And you might create more drama or problems than you want. Now, honestly, I just use what they call plastic cement, which is the cheapest roof and tire out there, and it works great. And as long as it's not going to be super cold when you're applying it, that's all you need. Now, there is some, if you want to get a little fancier, they have um, like kitty hair in it, like fiberglass mesh. And if you spread that on there, it creates kind of a an interwoven connection, and it makes it just a little sturdier. But I'm totally fine with just taking and putting three or four layers of roof and tire over the top. It's going to seal it. You're not going to have any rot you'll be all set. So yeah, um, and not as bad as what I was dealing with today. I ended up having to replace the fascia boards, the eave boards, so the eave boards, the soffit boards, and the fascia all on one side of a house. It had gotten rotten because it basically wasn't sealed up properly before, and I found a bird's nest in there, and they used chipboard for the uh, soffit boards. So it had completely disintegrated to the point where I can just take my hand and crumble it up into dust. It was one of the worst messes I've seen in a long time. Yeah. So next, um, this one, this one was kind of funny. This one came from, uh, Nadge. Uh, that was the only name I had from over on YouTube. And so they were looking at, I did a review a while back on the cat brand ratchet straps. And if you haven't seen them, I love them. They're my go-to ratchet strap. They're yellow and black. So, you know, I kind of enjoy that with the Walt colors and it has like the double hook finger and it's pretty wide and pretty thick. And so let me read you the question. You guys can, you know, anyway, it says, um, I'm looking forward to using this strap on the side rail of my rooftop on my vehicle. The underneath of the side rail is wide and a flat surface and the double hook does not completely grasp the underneath of the side rail. When ratcheted, the tension in the strap keeps everything tight, but I'm worried if it stays the same at highway speeds. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I would be a little bit nervous. So I've run into that before. A lot of the old uh, Dodge Grand Caravans had a fairly wide roof rack on them. And so ratchet straps are made to cinch into something. And yes, if you put tension on them and they're kind of holding on, but just holding on on the wrong angle, if you hit the wrong bump, Things can shift sideways or it can go flying right out. So what my recommendation is, at least what I've ended up doing, is see if you've, a lot of times on your roof racks, 
and you guys have probably seen this done before. And sometimes it takes two ratchet straps to do it, but it'll make your life a little easier and you'll feel a little better. But um, so if you take and run the ratchet straps around and instead of trying to hook them onto a wide blade that just that it's going to pop off on, run them underneath of the roof rack, meet them in the middle and then hook both sides of the ratchet strap together and then tighten it down so that you're making a continuous loop and you're hooking to itself. A lot of people don't think about that, but it, it's a real simple, easy kind of little hack and tip that works really, really great. Because other than that, it it can, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it. Um, In a pinch, you can always, uh, <laughs> I've done this too. If you don't have any passengers in the back seat, roll the passenger windows down a bit. And a lot of times you can hook there. But I just wouldn't feel good about having something that's kind of sliding on the edge with a lot of tension under it. You hit the wrong, you know, wrong bump and whatever the hell's up there, you know, whether it's your mother-in-law or a piece of furniture, they're going to end up going flying. And if it's your mother-in-law, maybe you feel bad, maybe you don't. I don't know. But if it were me, I would just be worried about the liability. So yeah, hook it underneath, run it underneath the roof racks and then hook it to itself. Sometimes you got to add another ratchet strap with it, but it works good. So the next one here, this one came from, um, I don't know, we'll call him Sam. I don't know what the name was exactly. And they're asking about the DeWalt push mower, the, the battery one that I've been running for, well, this is the second season that we've been running as a full landscaping set. It's been, uh, blows me away how friggin' good that thing runs. So good. Yeah. Oh, so Chicken Hawk says, uh, let's see. That's what we did on our van when we went on vacation. I added the bungee cord net over it all. That's a that's a good idea. And yeah, because it just gives you a little extra um, peace of mind, right? But yeah, if you, yeah, a bungee cord would work as long as, you know, or um, a tarp strap, the rubber ones, those would work really good too. And it reminds me of one time, I don't know how this worked, but I was in the office at the hardware store and I see a car pull up and they had a generator in the front seat, the passenger seat. And they were bringing it back for a return or repair, warranty work, whatever it happened to be. And they couldn't quite get the passenger door shut. So they took a piece of rope to the upright, um, you know, window post of the passenger door and they tied it to the steering wheel. I don't know how they drove there. I have no idea how they did it. Because as soon as you try to move your steering wheel, the door is going to flop in and out. Anyway, they pulled up like that. I don't know how they did it. Anyway, some strange things you end up seeing over the years. Uh, so next one. Oh, yeah, sorry. So self-propelled versus push battery mower. Now, a lot of people, for me, runtime is king. So the with the push mower, you get 75 minutes of runtime. With the walk-behind mower, you get about 60. They have the two 10-amp-hour batteries, and they're awesome. Now, for me, like I said, runtime is king. So I want those extra 15 minutes because I'm doing, well, I was until I've hired my son to do most of this, but, you know, five or six lawns at a time, and we want to get as much runtime as we can. Now, if you are doing just a single little, like, quarter acre or less lot, and that's all you're doing each week, and you want, you want to be able to walk behind it without pushing, then, yeah, go for it. But on battery... Any of these battery-powered things, you want to get as much runtime as you can. And if you go self-propelled, you're going to end up losing, I think, about 15%, maybe 20% of actual runtime. So it's up to you. If it's a single lawn that you're never, that runtime's never going to be a consideration, then go for the self-propelled. But if you think you're going to be doing 
multiple lawns and that sort of thing, then stick with the walk behind. And what I love, the, the DeWalt at least has those great big tires on them. They push really easy. I, you know, it's, it's about 75 pounds with the batteries on it and the thing pushes like a dream. So yeah, I, I have no issues now. I mean, if somebody's getting a little older, a little infirmed, then maybe they do want the, uh, self-propelled, but yeah, for me, runtime is where I'm at. Next question. This was from Dimitri's and they wanted to know how long can I run a generator without turning it off? <laughs> so there's the right answer. And then there's the, uh, practical answer, but two things, few things actually. So I guess number one is it depends on how, what type of fuel you're running in the generator. So if it's gas, you're going to be able to get what, eight to 10 hours out of a tank, perhaps. Now, the other thing, and this, this is important, is <laughs> Chicken Hawk says, yes. Okay, guys, we got a bunch of comedians in the audience tonight. Brian says, until it runs out of fuel. <laughs> and Chicken Hawk says, until it stops running. Yes. So. That's the short answer. If you're on gas, you're going to get about eight hours. But I don't think that was exactly the question. Well, okay. Number one, if you live dangerous and you fill up your generator with gas while it's hot and while it's running, I can't say I haven't done that in the past, but I don't do that anymore because there, as Brian can attest, there are very many dangers when it comes to gasoline. So you really should let your generator stop, let it cool down, then fill it up so that you're not spilling gas on some kind of hot thing and you have a flame up. Now, if you are running it hot shot, that baby, Brian says, yeah, absolutely. Now, if you're running it on natural gas, I did some digging on this just to see if it was okay. And Furman said, you are only limited by the amount of hours and runtime due for your next oil change. So with the Furman, for instance, you'll get 50 hours for the first oil change and then every hundred after that. So in theory, if you don't care about running something for a hundred hours straight, then you could get, what would that be? 24, basically four days of runtime before you had to stop it and change out the oil. So there you go. Not ideal, but yeah, if you're hooked into natural gas, run the sucker until it needs an oil change. But don't be surprised if that shortens life because you are putting a lot of stress on that motor. And, and uh, the guys in the chat say uh, you can only do that while smoking a cigarette and talking on your phone and hopefully creating some kind of static electricity too. anything like that. Just something to really charge up your day. Now, this next one came from Paul and we had a few kind of uh, entry level generator questions this time, but I wanted to get them out there because there's always a lot of people that are new to the, the channel and to the podcast. This one, Paul wanted to know, can I run my generator in bad weather, rain or snow? Because I literally have no place to store this. Now, if you, I mean, okay, generators for the most part are designed to be in bad weather because they're designed to run power when the power's out. But what I would recommend, I, I mean, this is so hard without knowing what your situation is. I'll give you an answer and it may or may not pertain completely to your situation. But the thing that I love is the gen tent. If you guys saw it a while back, I did a review on it. Now, the downside is the damn thing's expensive. It's like $200, $250 for a portable tent that mounts on your generator. But what's good about it is you don't need to have, yeah, don't leave the dust cover on it, Brian says. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and Rachel says, I might need a drink for all this silliness. Yeah, so 
if you don't have a place to store it, well, here's the other thing. I mean, you got to keep it out of the weather to begin with. So keep a dust cover or a tarp around it when it's not running. But if you've got rain and snow and you want to run it and you don't have, um, you know, a covered area to run it in because you just don't have space or the money, look at a gen tent. Those are great. They're, they're good for hurricane strength winds. They're good for like 18 inches of snow. They're good for rain. And what they do is they put a peak tent on the top of the generator. So the snow, you know, kind of falls off to the sides, works great. It has a kind of an opening flap to fill up with gas. It has a see-through flap to cover all your, your electronics. And they have done independent third-party testing as far as rain, wind, snow, and dust. And the thing works great. So, yeah, that honestly is probably your only option unless you decide you want to get yourself like one of those Rubbermaid storage bins or... Uh, deck boxes that open up from the front there's a lot of really good plans if i can find the time maybe this fall i'd like to build one but you can make it kind of soundproof just make sure you're using you know fire retardant material but if you can build something like that maybe you can then use it as a storage and then open it up a bit when you want to run it i don't know but the gen tent to me seems to be the answer it is a little expensive so if you want to run a generator outdoor in the bad weather that's about the way to, to do it for sure uh, Jason M was talking about um, inverters. He saw that I had an inverter in my vehicle for plugging in my DeWalt charger and wanted to know, was it hardwired? Did it come from the factory? All of that. So mine, it's all I have is a uh, an AC plug that came from the factory in the dash of my Dodge. Now, I, I believe I talked about this recently on um, the Wednesday afternoon show I did with Nicole and John. But you need to pay attention. Usually they'll list the maximum wattage on those plugs. And if they go over it, they're just going to kick out and not work properly. So keep an eye on that because mine's only 150. So I have a four port DeWalt charger I use. I can only charge one battery at a time in it. If I go over that, it resets. Then I have to unplug it, give it a minute, plug it back in. But you don't want to end up wrecking it and, um, you know, popping a fuse or something like that. So number one, Pay attention to the wattage on there and don't exceed it because you're going to have a bad day. The least problem you're going to end up running into is that you're going to end up with it just not running. That's it. So you, you plug it in. You're like, yes, I'm going to have charged up batteries. You leave it, the truck running for an hour while you go and work. You come back, nothing. Worse than that, you might blow a fuse. So just pay attention. If you want something that'll run like a 1500 watt regular old household plug, then you're going to need to hardwire you know, a much bigger inverter or get some of the newer vehicles that have them built in under the hood. And then, you know, as best you can come back and run um, a nice outlet in your dash or find a spot to put it. But yeah, absolutely the way it is. Hey, Dan, how are you? Just figured out that I can send messages here. I are smart. We're proud of you, buddy. Good to have you. <laughs> no, it's nice to have him. So next, this one is from Rick Snodgrass and they want to know about stable. Uh, well, sorry. They actually want to know about PRI-G. And if you guys have heard me talk about that in the past, I love it. It seems to be my go-to. Well, it has been my go-to fuel stabilizer for a few years now. A few years. A few months. Geez, getting ahead of myself, guys. Sorry about that. So far, so good. But really, I've based it on the claims of the company. And again, they've had independent third parties verify their claims. So what he wants to know is, if I filled my fuel with stable first, can I change over to PRI-G? I looked it up and the short answer is yes. 
And the long answer is also yes. So if you want to know, Stable only recommends a single treatment of fuel. Once you've passed the year that they say, they Stable will not bring the gas back to life. That's it. So once you've done a year, you got to use the gas or it starts going old. PRI-G, that you can use infinitely. So if you treat your gas once a year, every year, your gas will basically stay fresh to infinity. Now, if you put stable in it and you've gone a whole year, then yeah, you can add PRI-G and keep your fuel going infinitely. So yeah, if you were stuck on stable before and now you want to switch over to a better product, yes, PRI-G, the company actually says, go ahead and do it. So here's another one. Um, I wanted to, I'm going to do a video on this guys coming up, but I got a, um, I got a message from Jack the other day, an email from Jack Spierko. You guys will know him. Obviously most of you do anyway. And he said he got the um, head, the upgraded head for the DeWalt trimmer that I recommended and it wobbled quite bad. And then a day or two before he sent me that, I got another message from somebody on YouTube that said, Hey, just bought the trimmer head that you recommended and it doesn't fit the trimmer. And then I blew up one of my trimmers not too long ago, and I got another trimmer. And they have now changed the design in the DeWalt. This is the DeWalt 20-volt weed whippers. I love them. You know, weed trimmers, whipper snippers, weed whippers, whatever you want to call them. Anyway, they're great. But they have changed it. And I don't know if they've recessed the hole a little bit. So the, what was the one I, anyway, um, I want to say the Husqvarna. So it's the... T35 Husqvarna head, I believe, is the only one that works now on those. They used to have two or three in there for recommendation. I'm going to do a new, an upgraded 2022 video, but for whatever reason, they decided to change it, either to be smart or maybe they saw my video and decided that, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so yeah, keep an eye. The only one whippersnapper. Yeah, yeah, Dan likes that. The Husqvarna head is the only one out of the recommended heads that I recommended in the past that now work on the slightly modified DeWalt weed whipper. Don't know why. That's just what they do. What else did I have? Oh yeah. So um, if you guys noticed, I don't know, a week, week and a half ago now, my podcast was off of Apple podcast for an entire week. It wasn't due to any kind of weird censorship or getting in trouble or anything like that. It was just a stupid, stupid error. And I wanted to share it with you guys to let you know what ended up happening. So I got some serious help from some serious people who will remain unnamed behind the source, behind the scenes. They helped me. And then I put in a request to Apple, uh, I don't know, tech support, whatever. And it took almost a week, but they they ended up figuring out what part of the problem was. So if you are starting a podcast or if you have a podcast, and I do not know why this is an issue, but your logo needs to be 3,000 pixels by 3,000 pixels. You can go a little smaller, but Apple prefers it. Mine was like 400 by 400. Wasn't a problem for 115 episodes. And all of a sudden on episode 116, Apple said, nope, no more. We are not going to run your stuff. And it just stopped loading. And there was no, no warning, no email saying, hey, we have a problem, just the RSS feed stopped communicating with Apple. I went through my my server, which is Anchor, and they're like, yep, no problem. It's all working on our end. You need to call Apple. So I'd call Apple and they'd say, well, we can't help you. Talk to Anchor. Back and forth I went. 
until I eventually figured it out. Well, I didn't know. Don't take credit for that, Tim. So Apple helped fix it. I ended up manually updating that image for every single episode and it cleared itself up. So if you're ever wondering if you have a problem with that, uh, it turned out Jack had it and then um, Jack helped point me in another direction, talked to a guy, he helped me. Oh, it was all, yeah. Chris Dixon says Apple needs a kick in the apples. Yeah, I, it just makes no sense at all. And, but here's something kind of cool. I ended up losing an entire week's worth of stats from Apple. Basically, the three episodes that were released during that week didn't get near the listens because Apple seems to be, I thought about half, seems to be about a third of my listenership. But in the last two weeks, we just had the biggest, once again, two week, uh, grow, week over week growth in my podcast. So thank you guys. This is awesome. <laughs> we are, I set a goal to have a thousand listens per a thousand listeners per episode by the end of the year. And last week's how I became a prepper, thanks to the prepper broadcast network and a bunch of others, we ended up just over a thousand listens in the last seven days. So thank you guys. I love it. And just on the audio end of things, we're getting, you know, uh, well, anyway, I'll just put it out there. We um, So this last two weeks, I ended up having almost 2,300 downloads um, from the six episodes I put out. So thank you guys. It, it, it's growing like crazy. And yeah, we're just going to keep going. And my goal was to get each episode to 1,000 listeners this year. And because of you guys, thank you. It's awesome. I appreciate it. So thanks, Chris. Now, the next question, I don't know how I threw that in my notes in between, but whatever, here we are. This was a really cool one, and uh, I got a shout out to Carson, uh, another fellow Albertan. We meet up sometimes when I go to Edmonton. Uh, he hooked me up with some, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, rhubarb roots. So yeah, try to say that with an uh, um, East Coast accent, rhubarb roots. So anyway, he asked, uh, first question came through, he said, what issues do you usually run into in your gas mowers? And then he basically want, he wanted to say, like, I'm looking for a gas mower, but I don't want to spend a lot of money on it. So what do I look for? How do I find something on the cheap? So I sent him a whole bunch of recommendations. He ended up doing really good, so I'm proud of him. But so for me, the first thing I look for in a used trash mower is, and Chris Dixon will attest to this, but a lot of times it's just bad gas or gummed up in the carburetor. This is, you know, 80 to 90% of the time. Or sometimes you can be lucky and they just broke off the pole cord and you can fish it out and fix it up and do well. But anyway, so it two things that I find with old mowers. Spark plugs. So the first thing you want to do is replace that spark plug because it's like, well, it used to be a $2 investment. Now it's a $5 investment. But I literally gave myself a case of tennis elbow one time because it was too stupid to replace a spark plug. So replace the spark plug, then put some seafoam through it. And a lot of times that will end up fixing one. He said, oh, geez, I don't know how I forgot. Chris, thank you. I should have mentioned that. Yeah, Chris, you call Chris and he sells you one that's rebuilt. See, I need to be better at making connections amongst people. Sorry, Chris, that would have been awesome. Because he ended up finding one for next to nothing on Kijiji. So what I end up looking for, and maybe Chris, you can chime in here too. But if I go, uh, well, you know, if you go to certain landfills sometimes or recycling places and you see nice looking mowers that just get thrown there. A lot of times it's either because somebody upgraded. I've brought mowers home from different places before. They were 100% fine. It was just that somebody ended up upgrading and they threw it to the curb. 
drive around on large garbage day, that's another time, or put out on Facebook or Kijiji, hey, looking for, yeah, or, or Craigslist, Kijiji's a Canadian thing. So put online, like, hey, I'm looking for an old mower that, you know, might not be running real well. So yeah, look for something that looks like it's in relatively good shape. It's just not running for some reason. And if it's not spitting oil or, you know, what, what black or a blue smoke coming out the back, that kind of stuff, there's a good chance that a can of seafoam and a new spark plug is about all it'll take because they're simple. So yeah, anyway, he ended up finding one and I, I didn't ask him how much, but he said it was dirt cheap and he got it up and running. And that that's just one of the things that I end up doing. So yeah, uh, var varnishing the carb is a number one issue and it's a five minute fix. Yes. And uh, I didn't see PA Prepper in here tonight. Uh, my buddy Josh from Pennsylvania, a good friend of mine from Zello, but I need to shout him out because he said for the first time in his life, he decided to tackle rebuilding a carburetor and he knocked it out of the park. He had, I believe it was a mower. And if I'm wrong on that, I'm sorry, but he deserves the attention. So a fellow workshop community member decided that he was going to take it upon himself. He ordered a carb re rebuild kit and he did it and it started up great. So I'm proud of you, buddy. And like he said, it's never too late to try this kind of stuff. If you're a computer guy that wants to work on small engines, whatever, just do it. Get your ass out there and try it. Worst thing's going to happen is it's not going to work, and that's what it's doing already. Next one came from Jason over on MeWe, and he asked me uh, a while back. I did a segment on the Survival Podcast Expert Council about dealing with mice, and he wanted to know what the product was that I recommended for filling in holes in concrete. So it's hydraulic cement. That's the short answer, and if you've never worked with it, it's pretty cool stuff. It will literally harden up underwater. It doesn't require uh, water to harden or, well, it, it activates it, but it's a chemical type of cement. So a few things. If you're going to work with it, wear goggles because you don't want to get it in your eyes and wear gloves because it will burn your hands and only mix enough that you can work with basically right away. So take a little bit out of the container, add a little water, mix it up, and then start kneading it with the rubber gloves and then put it into place. Because as you put it into place, it's going to start hardening right away. So if you guys have never worked with it, a lot of times it's under the Quick Plug brand and it'll be in like a little tub. It's just powder. So take a little bit out, add a little water, mix it up, put it in there. Because within a couple of minutes, it's going to be rock hard. And like I said, it will literally set underwater. So yeah, if you've never worked with it, it's fun. Just be careful because it can be rather caustic. Uh, and this one was sent to uh, me from Richard. So uh, Rich, uh, sorry, Richard, but he goes by Rich. He just joined the Telegram group the other day. And he added, um, he, he mentioned this. And so I haven't had a chance yet to review it, but I wanted to let you guys know about it in case anybody else had tried it. And it's an app called Upkep. And their tagline is manage your home like a pro. Keeping up with home maintenance has never been easier. It's made by Consumer Reports, so they're, I think, a pretty good company. They seem like it. So this is not an endorsement. It's just information at this point. I'm going to dig into it some more. It's a 30-day free trial, then $4.99 a month. It's available for Amazon or iOS, Apple, and it looks like it's kind of cool. You know, the a lot of the, the reviews on it, a lot of them were good, and a few of them were kind of negative, but they were from people who had used it a while ago before some of the updates had been made. But it was basically the type of thing that you put in the task you want to do, and then it helps you build a maintenance schedule based around it. And it was all kinds of cool stuff, like like just simple things, like cleaning the um, magnetic 
catch or whatever, you know, the, the rubber magnetic seal that goes around your fridge, just all kinds of neat things. So anyway, you know, for us who, you know, in our group here, we always talk about developing a repairedness schedule and that kind of stuff. Man, if you could find an app that would work for that. So anyway, this one's called Unkept, U-P-K-E-P-T. I'm going to test it out. I'll come back and do a review on it one way or the other. But if anyone else out there has tried it, I'd love to hear about it because it seems interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, the trimmer head that I used to recommend was the AutoCut 25-2. I had this down here in my notes, so I'm just going to share it with you now. And But the uh, Husqvarna T85 is the way to go. That That is the one that fits. It works really well. And yeah, so from there... Uh, what else did I want to tell you? So today I opened up the ultra compact impact driver. Never used it before. I uh, picked it up this weekend. And that thing is tiny in my big beefy mitts. And it held up really, I, I love it. it. It's got more power than the other atomic one I had that was a normal size. And I would say more than the standard DeWalt one. Now, if you guys have questions, uh, I, I got a few more things I'll fill you in on. But if you got any questions, throw them up in the comments there. Uh, I didn't open up. Float seems to be working better now. So if anybody's watching over on Float, thank you. Um, they're trying to get the last of the bugs worked out with this. Ah, what do you want to call it? Um, the Well, they, they up, upgraded from the trial, not the trial, I think from the beta version. Anyway, this is their new version. It's working well, but they've had a hell of a time with the live streaming. So if you haven't been over there, anyway, I hope it comes around because I love Float. It works really good. So yeah. What have I tried? I, I've picked up, I might as well fill you in on a few tools I picked up. Uh, oh, Dan says, part number, please. Is that for the, are we talking about the um, the ultra compact impact driver? Because if it is, I'll have to look it up and I will share it in the Telegram group later on because it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I really, yeah, it's tiny. Uh, it's about half as deep as the standard one. I got to put it on a scale. I'm going to do a comparison video with the three of them just to see how well I would have liked to have had it working on the covered deck so far, but I'm going to use it where I can. What else have I picked up? I had a bunch of tools come in recently. The other one, if you guys haven't seen it, is the quick drive system. It is, uh, oh, sorry. Yes, put it up here, Dan, because I had to close Telegram because it was playing in the background. I had a question about batteries, and I will uh, see if I can get Telegram back up here. I think it'll stop because uh, Brian killed it the stream earlier, so I'm just razzing and busting his balls a little bit. Here we are. So let's bring it up for you. And uh, the workshop. There we go. Okay. So um, he said, I'm a notorious for leaving drills, etc. on my... Oh, yeah. Nope. That's the other one. Avoid the hit. Yeah. Just bring it over here, Dan, if you don't mind. And uh, then I will have to... Yeah, because it's not showing up in here. I must have missed it. Oh, there we go. Okay. So what is the difference between a DeWalt 60 volt, 6 amp hour and a 20 volt six amp hour okay so see if i can explain this because i did know this so if it's 60 volt at six amp hour then when it's a 20 volt it is i have to divide it oh man i can't remember how that works so basically the amp yeah so the six amp hour if i remember this correctly and i might have to fill you in i'll do a little research afterwards the six amp hour is at 20 volts i believe and at 60 volts, it's only a two amp hour. I believe that's how it goes because that's, of course, how they rate them. Because if you look at a the flex volt, 60 volt, and you're going to get more power because it pulls it out quicker. But if you look at a 
say a five or six amp hour 20 volt battery and a 60 volt battery, they're almost identical. It's just in the way the cells are wired together. So you can get that extra power out of the flex volt. But yeah, they're, the, the runtime, the capacity in, e, in both six amp hour batteries are the same. They just kind of play with the numbers in the way they show it. But I can, I, I'll do a little more digging so I can give you a little more scientific breakdown of that. I've done it in a couple of videos before, but I, um, yeah, just had some trouble. Oh, and uh, there was another question uh, earlier over in PBN. It was a really cool question. The person was looking at a cordless chainsaw versus a corded chainsaw versus a gas chainsaw. And they were basically interested in wondering, uh, so what way should I go? And so, of course, you know, there's merits to all all three. Uh, I'm not a big fan of a plug-in chainsaw, period, because pretty much anything that has a blade and has a power cord, I am good at cutting through it. Look at the original hedge trimmer that I bought. Anyway, so I love cordless. So the first question I asked them was, you know, are you already on a brand of battery? Because yeah, there's a few of them out there and uh, they, they were using, I think it was the Ryo. Anyway, so there's Ryobi, Ryobi, Ego, DeWalt, and Milwaukee are all really good cordless chainsaws. Now I've only used the DeWalt one, but I've talked to other people that have used all the others and they're great. So if you're already on a battery platform, that's the first consideration. What platform do you use? Because why the hell would you buy a new platform unless you're crazy like me and you decide you want to try some Harbor Freight stuff out too, right? Now, the next thing is how much wood do you cut in a year? Now, if you're cutting 10 to 12 cord of firewood every single year, like we used to, then yeah, you're going to need a gas powered chainsaw because the battery just isn't going to cut it. Now, if you're maybe cutting a half cord or a cord every year, yeah, Rachel says chainsaw is a good reason to wear safety toed shoes. Yes, don't wear uh, flip flops. <laughs> you're going to end up having a bad day. So, yeah, number one, what kind of batteries you're using? How much wood are you cutting? So, if you're not cutting a whole lot, if you're just doing some trimming around the yard, maybe you want to have a chainsaw on hand just in case a hurricane comes through. Now, okay, the downside is, yeah, he said uh, gas, it's like milk crates. Yeah, yeah, so gas chainsaws are great. They're absolutely, the, like I said, the downside, if you're not cutting a lot of wood, they need a lot of babying. And there's nothing worse than a chainsaw that's set around for a while to try to get it started afterwards. So for me, like I love my still gas chainsaw. I'm never going to get rid of it, but I haven't run it in a few years because I bought that 60 volt DeWalt. And if Chicken Hawk, he's probably gone back to work by now, but Chicken Hawk loves his 20 volt. And that looks like a mean chainsaw for the size of it. They work great. I was able to get as much use out of it and as much cutting as I do. But yeah, if you're, if you're only cutting like say a quart a year for some stove wood, that kind of thing, then I think you're foolish not to go with a battery, but that's just me. I love the cordless DeWalt stuff. But yeah, if you're on Milwaukee, go Milwaukee. And if you haven't tried anything, Ryobi or Ego are great. I love both those. Um, I've read I reached out to Lowe's hoping they'd send me some Ego stuff because I really, really want to test their backpack blower. And they give me that kind of circular. Well, um, we're always looking for uh, new representatives. And if you're a good fit, we'll get back to you. And that was a while ago. So whatever, no big deal. At some point, I would love to get my hands on some Ego stuff to try it out because they have the most powerful backpack blower out there for a battery from what I've seen. And I would love to see how well it works in the snow and in our wonderfully 
warm Alberta winters because I would absolutely love to switch to uh, battery powered for sure. Uh, Chris says, like all tools, it really depends on what you need it for. Absolutely. And like I said, if you're running any amount of time, go with the gas. And does the gas have more power than the battery? Yeah, absolutely it does. Uh, Dan says, same, I use my 60 DeWalt, but my Echo is empty and at the ready when the grid falls. Yes, it's great to have, you know, what you know, two is one, one is none, and three is a guarantee. I'm not saying have three chainsaws, but... Maybe you have a, maybe you have a gas chainsaw, maybe you have a battery chainsaw, and then maybe you have uh, like, um, what do they call those? Like a, a hand, um, oh shoot, I can't think of them. Like a bow saw. That's what I'm looking for. Just in case or an ax or something like that. Yeah. Hey, Arizona. This is a horrible issue. So Arizona, Arizona Renaissance man wants to know, have you had issues with the bar leaking oil? on the DeWalt chainsaw. Mine is great, but leaves the puddle where it sits, when it sits. Yes. And I have had a bunch of intentions. And if anybody's followed me for a while, they know I've had intentions to do this and I haven't done it yet. So two things. I had a long talk with DeWalt one day when I sent in, this was a year ago, when I sent in my uh, weed whipper, I forget, and chainsaw for some work. And he said, it is a hugely known issue and he, he, he was kind of razzing DeWalt a little bit because, so, you know, normally when you have an oil reservoir and a cap that you screw in, normally there's a nice rubber O-ring there. Well, for whatever reason, DeWalt, on the inside of the threaded part, they used a really paper-thin plastic flange there instead to the point where if you ever try to put it in a little bit crooked or whatever, it'll tear and that's it, you're done. It's a known issue. Now, my idea is to go to the local Napa and find a few O-rings to find which one works the best. And then I'm going to put it in there because that's where it's leaking on a regular basis. It's just horrible because, and I don't know why they don't fix it. Both of my DeWalt chainsaws do it. My 60 volt, uh, you know, my flex volt 16 inch chainsaw does it. And the awesome little, I think it's an eight inch DeWalt pole saw, they both leak like a bugger. And it's just down to poor engineering, cheapness. I don't know, but that's, so that's the issue. But I'm, like I said, you really should look for an O-ring that'll hold up to fuel and oil. If uh, Brian Aleskovich is still in here, he can tell us again what the, the type of material is because I forget every time I talk about it. But yeah, that's what I'm going to look for. So if I can find the right one, I'm going to do a video on that. I bet that would uh, be a good way to launch the TikTok channel because I was on the uh, Wednesday afternoon with Nicole and John Willis, and they basically made me promise that by June 1st, I would be putting videos up on TikTok. So I need to do that too, <laughs> because it is the way. Yeah, so try that. And Arizona, come back and let me know if you end up uh, having luck with that, because that has been my plan. I just haven't done it yet. Um, yes, and Rachel says, less maintenance rules. For me... The slight power decrease in batteries is worth all of the benefits. I mean, no noise, no fumes, no heat, no smell on your clothes, no mixing oil, no spilling gas, no gummed up engines, no need to uh, winterize in the winter and then dewinterize in the spring. It's just awesome. It's faster to refill. So, you know, figure how long it takes you to refuel whatever it is, you know, 
a minute, two minutes. I timed it a couple times. And well, if you got a battery, just slap it on, slap it in and slide it in. That's all there is to it. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. And that's why I've gone that way. Because again, when you live in Alberta, where six months of the year, the weather can kill you. Well, not six months of the year, but you know, it's shitty weather where we're not doing a lot of outdoor work. For me, I was just spending so much time getting my stuff ready to put away and then getting it ready to come back out that it was way better to go with the battery. And uh, <laughs> Chicken Hawk says, watching on the clock now and a sharp chain can make up for some power loss. Yes, that's a good point, my friend. So either learn how to do it yourself or I don't know, uh, get it sharpened. I, so here's the thing. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people. I've never really learned how to properly sharpen a chainsaw blade. I spent a lot of time trying to learn with those little bastard files because that's the name of them. And they're a bastard trying to learn how to use them. And for me, I think it's like five bucks each time I go and get my chain sharpened. So I'll, I'll have two or three chains on hand. When I get down to the last one, I take the other ones into the rental shop and they sharpen them in like five minutes and I'm done. There he is, Tools with Souls. Hey, congratulations, my friend. Hit 4,000 subscribers the other day. Batteries are the future. Gas and air are quickly going the way of the dinosaur. Amen to that. And like I have said, if I can find a backpack blower that will have as much power as my still BR-800 that is battery, boom, I'm going with it. Uh, that If you guys watched my video a little while ago on uh, YouTubers, what, what did we call it? Uh, DIY YouTubers or, home, you know, tool YouTubers that I like. Anyway, Blades of Grass, he's a guy down in Georgia that runs a landscaping business. He has started going with maybe the Ryobi or the Ego push mower. It runs on battery. He's able to start mowing at 630 in the morning because those things make literally no noise at all. It's awesome. So yeah, that's one of my favorite things. You're not annoying the neighbors. And when I get done, I don't smell like a frigging gas tank either. And uh, yeah, that I'm proud of you, Souls, man. You are running away with it. It's going good. But yeah, you're absolutely right, my friend. Batteries are the future. And whether we like it or not, they're coming. I mean, I do not agree with the government forcing it. We all know that. Uh, we'll see how well that's going to work out for California, because that just creates all kinds of new problems. But if you let the market dictate it, I'm, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of battery. And this is coming from a guy that a few years ago thought, okay, well, when I first started my landscaping business, I invested in all still gas powered equipment thinking that was the way to go. And I gradually upgraded and moved over to all DeWalt battery. And a few years before that, I was the type of guy who said, I'm not going cordless with my tools. I want the reliability of the plug in because they always had more power. Then we got the Makita lithium ion drill at work. And I was like, holy crap, this is incredible. And then I started seeing Oh, even just the little, what is it, six and a quarter, six and a half inch DeWalt circular saw I have, that thing's awesome. That's all I need for ripping plywood. So yeah, their batteries are absolutely the future and they're going to be. And cars are going that way too, whether we like it or not. And I would absolutely love to have an electric car. And if somebody knows, here's another thing. If somebody had, knows um, an expert on electric vehicles, I would love to have someone on the show to pick their brain talk about preparedness and everything that goes into living with an electric vehicle because there are going to be new challenges with that i don't know it is what it is and the other thing what i so if you've got like chicken hawk for instance got a bunch of solar panels or anybody has a few solar panels what i love about that is that's infinite energy kind of i mean can the stuff break down yes 
But if you're running a generator to charge something, you can only store so much gas. And if we end up, you know, if, if it ended up being a horrible situation where the power grid went down for months and you had to live off of your absolutely backed up, you know, whatever fuel supply you had on hand, you are going to be shitting bricks pretty quick because no matter how much fuel you have up, it's going to run out. But solar, hey, if you want to run anything and everything off of solar, it's always there. And, you know, I mean, if it's a cloudy day, okay. But within reason, it's an infinite kind of power supply. And I like it. Does it require upkeep? Yes. And uh, uh, Sol says uh, electric vehicle hooked up to solar will work. Uh, John Bush from what's it, Exit and Build, he does a bunch of things. I know he has a Tesla with a couple of Tesla power walls. And he's had some, he, he's charging that way. So, you know, is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. But it's really kind of the future for sure. Uh, BFKC just got a Milwaukee M18 hedge trimmer. No more $50 trips to the repair shop for poorly winterized equipment. A1 with that. I am excited. I love it. Yes, because you know what? Even a guy, whatever, I'm not going to toot my own horn because I've screwed up a bunch of times. But my backpack blower a couple of years ago, I thought I, well, didn't winterize it, but I, I thought I stored it away properly in the summertime. And it ended up being a gummed up carburetor. It's just the money. And yes, it's always $50, $50 every time you get it serviced. I went in one time, they're like, you're, you were mixing your gas too rich and it gummed up the carburetor. So we sprayed it out. Now you're good. 50 bucks, right? So yeah, the, and oh man, stuff like hedge trimmers. You're crazy not to go with the battery now because the power is really good. Um, yeah. So Arizona Renaissance man says, I think the biggest problem with electric cars is the recharge time on a long road trip. You're not wrong at this point, for sure. I see a few things coming. Number one, so I'm probably an idiot for saying this. I just don't know why they don't have modular batteries. for. And maybe it would just be not feasible whatsoever. But, I mean, literally, if we want to run our DeWalt tools, and I know this is much more sim simplistic, right? But if we want to run our DeWalt tools infinitely, we just keep swapping out for a fresh battery. I don't know. If they could do it, I'm sure it wouldn't be easy. But you could literally pull up and, you know, if, if the battery was like a cartridge battery, and I'm sure I'm being, I'm, I'm probably foolish on this, but pull it out and put a new one in. Maybe that's the option. Number two, they've got really quick chargers now that are down to about 15 minutes. Now, when we did our last road trip, a couple of times I kind of paid attention to see how long we would stop. And we're kind of in that 10 to 12 minute range. So 15 minutes isn't too bad. I think when they get down, when they introduce rapid chargers that are less than 10 minutes, I think to me, that is the point because everyone stops to a gas station for 10 minutes, whether it's to get snacks, whether it's to, you know, drain your potatoes, whatever it is. So there's that. Now, the other thing, uh, yeah, and I, I know souls, I know that's the, the batteries are super heavy. So I know it's not a hundred percent possible yet but i mean i say that but if you if you could pull up behind something and there was just a hydraulic something or other that grabbed the battery pulled it out and put a new one in maybe i don't know just an idea i didn't know we were going down this route but i enjoy it quite a bit so yes but here's the other thing most people do most of their driving close to home within 100 kilometers sorry or what 60 miles from home right what I love is that it's going to eliminate most of your trips to the gas station. This is something I hadn't thought about a lot, and I'm sure most of you had. 
So like literally every night you plug your vehicle in and it's charged in the morning so that, you know, weekly or twice weekly trip to the gas station for your commute, that's gone. And if you run the numbers, they're way cheaper. Electricity is so much cheaper than it is um, to run with gas and gas is just going to go up, right? So yeah. Oh man, we got all, man, all kinds of cool stuff. So here's Chicken Hawk's thought. And I, yeah, I can make power for 20 plus years with solar, but I can't make gas. Well, my friend, I have five gallon buckets of navy beans at home that allow me to personally make gas. But yeah, you're right. Uh, I can make power for 20 years with solar. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. You guys set it up and, and you're good to go. And there's no need to store all kinds of combustibles and fuel that needs to be treated. So I kind of like it. Uh, Soul says, uh, Generac sells a generator that hooks directly in your solar array. I love that idea. Um, here we go. Yeah. Uh, also, when they move to solid state batteries for EV cars, that will be a game changer on these vehicles. Yes. And I know, you know, they're all kind of micro changes and just small little improvements. But I mean, even just look at something like the DeWalt PowerStack battery and that to me, that's a game changer. I love that friggin' thing. Can't wait to get my hands on a few more of them. So they're going to make incremental changes. They're going to make slight improvements. They're going to make, uh, you know, um, in the factories, they're going to find efficiencies and things are going to get better. And yeah, I hope there's just a, an incredible, someday we wake up and they're like, hey, here's the new battery technology. This is how it's going to work. Uh, BFKC said, uh, and weeks awaiting because there's not all that small men, small engine mechs around, at least in our area. Yeah. Oh, right. We're talking about, uh, sending gas powered things in for, uh, getting them fixed. Yeah, you're right. And souls talked about the heavy, uh, heavy vehicles or heavy batteries. Dan says they just need a good solar panel charger for the cars. We're being pushed that way. Yes, they, they are. And, and I know we're being, I think the market would have went that way anyway. The government's going to force things as the government does. I don't know. Anyway, but I'm a person who lives in oil country and for a lot of years used to just kind of brush off electric vehicles as something the tree huggers were trying to get us to do. But I'm telling you the benefits that are coming around the corner with them and are basically there now. I'm excited. I can't wait. And we started doing some digging last year on Zello. We were talking about it and I didn't know how well, say, a Tesla would operate in sub-zero temperatures, no problem at all. I had a relative the other day shared a meme that said that electric vehicles basically couldn't create heat. And I'm like, come on now. It was one of these stories about somebody being on the side of the road. Anyway, so a Tesla can run for two full days and keep the interior temperature at 65 degrees Fahrenheit at 15 degrees Fahrenheit exterior temperature. Two days. The average vehicle can run a day to a day and a half idling on a full tank of gas. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, BF says forklifts operate with swappable battery packs now, probably not too far off in the vehicles. And to me, that's what I think. It, 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 I just, I don't know. I just look at it and I'm like, okay, slide a battery in, slide a battery out. We're all set. And it'll be, it'll be what it'll be. But I think that would be the easiest way to, so it, it kind of reminds me of the people that go around and pick up those scooters at night, charge them at night, and then bring them out in the morning. So if you could swap out batteries, you really don't have a need for rapid charger infrastructure at that point. 
because you can have somewhere that keeps a whole bunch of these modular batteries on hand and charges them at the slower rate that doesn't cost as much. And then you pull in and you literally swap out a battery and you're gone in five minutes. By the time your kid goes to the bathroom, then comes back out and says, hey, dad, I need three bucks for a bag of chips. And then you send them back in and they get their chips. You're ready to go. So I don't know. I think it would be a really cool thing. Arizona says, like cell phones, fast improving. Yes. And that's the way, you know, all of these different technologies, the more we use them. Uh, my wife and I had a conversation the other day about this. And I said, it's a lot like when the gas vehicles first started, uh, you know, the horseless carriages, there were no interstates, but the technology was invented and the infrastructure came around it. And that's what's going to happen with these. The more and more people that buy them, not because the government tells them they have to, but because they make financial sense and they make practical sense, then all of a sudden the companies will be like, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to build more chargers. We need to build more infrastructure. And, you know, for everybody that says they'll never make a universal car battery that you can swap out, well, I didn't think that they would end up making a universal charger. And basically, I think there's only a couple on the market at this point. So they can be, I don't know, maybe it'll happen. I'm still waiting for Apple to switch to a USB-C on their phone too. That, that pisses me off. <laughs> you know, when um, they're, apparently they're using it on some of their iPads and things like that now, but there's really no reason why they couldn't. I don't know. So yeah, uh, if you guys have anything else you want to throw up there, go ahead. Um, what else do we have on the go? So Saturday, yeah, uh, Saturday, I'm quite excited. It's my uh, little pet project episode I'm going to do about Waffle House. If you guys... Um, didn't follow me on social while Becky and I were away. We had a grand time eating at Waffle House like three or four times. And I got talking to some of the employees and it turns out that they're more prepared for emergencies and disasters than most other businesses. So I'm going to share what I found out about them so far. I'm kind of excited about that. Sunday night, we got uh, Greg Gorecki coming on. Um, he runs the, what is it? The Apocalyptic Training and Survival Skills School out of Edmonton. So another Albertan coming on the show to chat about this. It, it's kind of like bushcrafting and survival and prepping skills all wrapped in one. It's a two-day course that he offers there. And we're going to bring him on and we're going to chat about it. Something else to ask you, um, if, if any of you are going to be at Self-Reliance in October and you have um, a recommendation for something you'd like to hear me speak on, let me know because I'm still working out what I'm going to speak on. I, I talked uh, at... Um, at LFTN Spring Workshop, I did, you know, you can do it, finding freedom through entrepreneurship. At the Prepper Camp, I'm going to be speaking three days in a row, sharing the same presentation on repairedness, the art of home maintenance, what help isn't around the corner. And yeah, so I don't know. Uh, there's lots of things I could, but if you guys have a request, send it in to me. I would love that. So yeah, um, no more questions there, guys. So let's let's wrap it up for tonight. We've been an hour and 10. I always love having chats with you. Um, like I said, Saturday, we've got the Waffle House show. Sunday, we've got Greg Grecki from the Apocalyptic School in Edmonton. And if you're over listening on uh, PBN, wow, there is so much on the go over there. But tomorrow night will be my follow-up. Uh, not my follow-up, but the guy that follows me is Carl A.D. Brown on The Strange Truth. He deals with the stories, the news stories that nobody wants to talk about with a focus on Christianity and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check him out. 
Uh, and uh, Rachel says, I really like hearing you volunteered to be the ugly cheerleader at LFTN. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Always something on the go, right? Um, yeah. So from there, guys, um, yeah, follow me. Come back. We'll have a great conversation Saturday night. We'll have a great interview on Sunday night. And if you're still listening at this point and you haven't joined the Telegram group, that is where our community interacts. So anyway, guys, I tell you every week, but I do appreciate that you'll come in because this is the good weather where we're all outside getting shit done. And I'm in here chatting away with you and you guys are coming by and chatting with me. So thank you. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy and have a great week.